Right. So God has really been talking to me about prayer and its influence and power. Um, I've previously been really um, daunted by um, prayer, not personal prayer, but group prayer when we all go, can you join with three or four other people and start praying? And I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) I've got to say it out loud. Um, And I worry that are my words good enough? Standing around, letting everybody go first, thinking, okay, I'll let Tracy go first. I'll see what she says and then I'll decide what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to say. No, I'm not because Jackie's just said it. Um, Okay, I'll wait. No, Joan said what I'm going to say. And then before I know it, it's my turn and I've not concentrated at all on what I was praying about. Um. So, yeah, I'm just worrying about it the whole time. But as my children have been growing and they experience more of the world, their world's becoming so much bigger and they're becoming less innocent and more human. Um, I've really been talking to God about how can I make sure that my children feel secure, loved and safe. The only way this can truly be achieved is through Jesus God's really shown me that kids' own, coming to church, learning and hearing the stories in the Bible, all of this is mega, great, and the truth, but we need Jesus. We need to listen to him, we need to talk to him, and we need to hear him. When I've been praying to Jesus to ask, how can I steer this precious little girl sitting at the end of my dinner table, who's pouring out her daily woes and trials, of my hair doesn't look like Imogen's. Why doesn't it look like Imogen's? Um, I don't want to do my spelling test tomorrow. I don't want to go to bed. Um, what about dinner time tomorrow, mum? If I have packed lunch, then I can't sit next to my friends. And if I do have school dinner, I don't eat quick enough. And then they all go running outside and then I'm left on my own. Um, her little world is growing larger and larger and her individuality is forming layers. How can I turn her to Jesus to help her to grow in the security and love of him? I, I can pray and talk to her about what I would do in her situation, but I also need to do it with her. Praying as a family unit and as a church family unit is so special and is so powerful. And when I say our children, I mean our children as a church. They actually need to see us leading by example not just saying, well, you must pray about that, dear, but actually doing it, saying, right, let's pray about it now, leading them in prayer and giving them the space to do the same. It might be a shock to you, but the kids want to be prayed for. They also want to pray for others. When we were at Clipsby last weekend, little Saul came up to me and Rebecca and he looked all puzzled and angry and uptight. And Rebecca was like, what, what's the matter, darling? And he said, oh, I've got an ulcer on my tongue. Every time I try and play in the, play in the swim pool or on the, on the what's it called, zip wire, um, it keeps hurting. So she went, right, let's pray for you. And he just sat there and closed his eyes instantly. He was ready. And she prayed for him. He opened his eyes and said, thanks. And off he popped. And um, Joel Parrish, I know, near Christmas time, um, Mel was sitting at a table. She had a migraine coming on. It was Megan's birthday party. She had loads of things, as we all do at Christmas. She didn't feel very well. He just walked through from the front room and go, Mum, can I pray for your head? And he sat there and prayed for her. 
How many of us do that with our children or each other when we're poorly or when we're offloading about our day? Who would love to see our children praying within the ministry team at the front at the end, laying hands on adults? They do it to each other in Kidzone. I got sent a very interesting blog about the key of saving teenagers by Andrew Wilson, which stated that 82% of teens aged 15 to 17 who were raised by parents who talked about faith at home and who demonstrated their faith attached great importance to their faith path with their parents. That means that mothers and fathers who practice what they preach and preach what they practice play a major influence into their teens, keeping their faith into their 20s. Now, I know I'm thinking about my five-year-old daughter, and you might be thinking about your wonderful nephew or brother or sister, your friend's children, that lovely little boy you sit near at church, or that lovely little girl in the small group in kids' zone or in club. You might be thinking that you can help strengthen their faith, help them to give confidence in knowing that our father listens, he loves, and he talks to us by us outwardly praying with, around, or near each other. Wouldn't we all start singing in praise to our Heavenly Father? A child's faith is built on experience. I know that my father loves to hear from all of his children of all ages. And when we do this together, our prayers can be very powerful. Since God's highlighted this to me, it's made me realize that there's so many chances throughout the day to pray with your family. So many occasions for us to come together as a church and a family and a family to ensure that our children grow up in a praying church and not just a church that prays. Matthew eighteen twenty says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to a banquet, not a table for two or a table of adults. Whilst I appreciate there's subjects and situations that aren't appropriate for children to hear, I also realize that our children need a sense of belonging a feeling of being a necessary part of a family unit and it can be strengthening and a blessing time together. It also means that we're traveling and building on our relationship together. We can be such a blessing to each other, no matter what age or ability or our fancy words. Our God listens to all of us. In Proverbs 22.6, it says, point your kids to the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. This has taught me not to worry about what I have or haven't said in a group setting during prayer. I could have completely repeated what the person next to me said. What's important is drawing near to Jesus and doing everything I can to ensure that the children around us know the security and love that I have comes from Jesus Christ. Good morning. I'm already messed up in the worship time because just to see young people... You know, just, just coming into their destiny in God, it just, just wrecks me, quite frankly. So uh, bless the Lord for them. Keep yourselves humble, and the Lord will continue to work in you and do great things in and through you. Thank you so much for this morning. When Ben originally asked me um, to do this morning, I said, well, you know, nothing comes to mind at the moment, so, uh, but thanks so much for asking me. He said, well, just share something from the Scriptures. So that's what I'm going to do. Is that Okay. Psalm 27.4 says this, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's quite amazing the 
relationship the psalmist had with the Lord in the Old Covenant. In fact, if you read some of the psalms, it puts us quite quite to shame of of where we are. We've got so much more in the New Covenant. But he just loved the presence of the Lord. And for those of us who really are passionate about the presence of the Lord, who've tasted of the powers of the coming age and just love to be in his presence, nothing else satisfies in quite the same way. And you feel, what was that meeting all about? Or what was that prayer time all about? Nothing satisfies like his presence. There's a wonderful little phrase in in the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17, which shows that our desire for his presence and the Lord's desire for ours are one and the same desire. Does that make sense? John 17, 24. Wonderful little phrase. Father, I desire that they also, that's all those who would believe, he's praying for his disciples before he leaves them, then he prays for all those who will afterwards believe. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, will be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. We could translate that as my, my pleasure that those you have given me will be with me where I am, that they may see my glory. His glory, of course, is seen in his works, his words, his wonders, his, his person. And so the Lord's desire to have us with him where he is, is just such an encouragement. When we desire his presence, he longs to be with us as much as we long to be with him. And that's it. That's uh, really exciting, isn't it? In Ephesians 2, it says the Lord got his request. Because it says, in the same way that the Lord was raised from the dead, so too we have been raised together with him and seated in heavenly places with him. So spiritually, we're already there. We're already with him where he is. Okay, there's a greater fulfillment that some of us who are getting older look forward to when we pass on or when the Lord comes back of being with him for all eternity. But spiritually speaking, we're with him already. So it's just wonderful that we can just be with him where he is. And we see things because we're raised with him from a different perspective. We start to see things as he sees them. Revelation comes from his word. We realize that we reign in Christ with him. We need to understand, you know, which side of the cross we're on. I always used to teach people, if you've got a thought from the Bible or whatever, make sure you can get it through the cross. In the new covenant, in his blood, the cross. The new covenant was fully inaugurated when he died and rose, wasn't it? The full benefits were realized at that time. Make sure you can get your theology through the cross. You see, Terry will deal with this on Saturday, so I'm not going to deal with this and I haven't got time. I'll, I'll go like this. It's what my wife used to do sometimes. She used to go, she can't raise her hand anymore, sadly, so I, I, I get away with it. So, so the sound men have got the permission, just pull the plug, you know, eight minutes' time. What was I talking about? The cross, yes. There, there, are, there are Christians who very much sadly live partly with one foot in the old covenant and one in the new, law and grace, and they mix like oil and water. And there are other Christians who maybe just sadly just get stuck at the cross and, and don't move much further. You know, it's, it's not... When we come to Christ, it is... The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. 
But once we've come through the cross, that we've died with Christ, but we've risen with Christ, it's the cross behind us, the resurrection life before us. Yeah? The cross behind us, the resurrection. Now, before you clog up my email system, the cross is something that we should look back to with absolute gratitude and we should remember regularly. But we should also remember that we have died with him, we have been buried with him, and we have risen with him. And that's what Romans 6 is all about. If you think or if you believe you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today and you haven't been baptized, why not? It's repent and be baptized. Romans chapter 6 says that baptism is a death, it's a burial, it's a resurrection. Sad that in so many situations we've just downgraded that to a wet witness. It achieves something when we appropriate it by faith. Now, if you're a child today and your parents say, no, not yet, well, then I I, I guess the Lord knows your heart. But can you be a Christian and not be baptized? I don't know. The Bible doesn't answer that question. Because every believer in the Bible believed and they were baptized almost the same day, if not soon after, like like, like Paul. So we have died with him, we've been buried, buried with him, and we've risen with him, we're seated with him in heavenly places. How am I doing for time? Are you keeping the check? I'm all right. Good. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. As we behold, we become. So... Why would the Lord not want us to be with him? He wants us to become. He wants us to be changed from one degree of glory to another. If I'm the same this year as I was last year, something's seriously wrong, isn't it? We're supposed to go from glory to glory as we behold him. Yeah? That's a good word, John. (laughs) So how passionate are we for his presence? How passionate are we for his presence? How much do we like being with him? David liked to be in the house of the Lord where God's presence was manifested. One of the places we experience his presence, of course, when we come together, living stones being built together, and now the place where God, uh, God's spirit dwells. We are the temple, individually, but also corporately as the body of Christ. Amen? So if you haven't been baptized... (laughs) have a little chat with uh, two weeks time have a word with Vince he'll point you in the right right direction and if you're not hungry and thirsty for his presence we'll just ask the Lord to just make you more hungry and more thirsty okay (laughs) amen so I'm like someone who always worries about something. I have to plan everything. The day's already planned before I'm up. And I would always worry about something, whether it's irrational fears, the next day or the future. It was like a cycle. And I'd always have to work some sort of worry. And it would sort of held me back from God in some ways. And I'd almost feel like I couldn't go to God because I didn't think he would help. But um, through this, God really used it for the good and showed me things and the truth. So... He taught me that fear is about lies, and so God, there's bits in the Bible, and showing me the truth, told me that 
fear and worry could no longer hold me because the truth broke the lies. So one of the truth he showed me was that he's in control. So he was... He talked to me about how he sustains the earth, how he hears our prayers, does miracles, is in control of everything. So my little worries didn't mean anything to, on the grand scale of things, and he would definitely be able to sort them. So I had to come to a place where I could trust him and was not stressing on what I didn't know, but focused on what I did. So I didn't know what he was doing, but I know, definitely know who he is. He's my father, and he, tr- he tells me that he's in control, so therefore I should listen and keep trusting at all times. He, ne- he has, and he never will fail, so that's what I put my hope on. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Faith being, means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even we, if we don't see it. In the message, it says, The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. It goes on, I'll just jump it to this. So, <laughs> by an act of faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of a dry land. Noah became intimate with God. Um, so, it says about how it was impossible to please God apart from faith because everyone wants to approach God but must believe that he exists and he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. So that's what, that's what I tried to do and what, how I overcame worry was choosing to walk in faith, not in fear. The third thing God showed me was that he's abundant and unfailing love that's not dependent on circumstances. There's no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear. So it doesn't matter what I go through in my day, there's nothing that's going to change his love for me. So realising that worry was a waste of time because it didn't change anything. His love was never going to let go and he wasn't ever going to leave me. He also gave me a peace which is supernatural, is promised in every situation which was a real great comfort. So looking back, I found this quote from someone in America and it said, Jesus did not live in reaction to the devil but in response to the father. So this was really key for me because the devil feeds all sort of lies and that's what fear is based on. So it was about not really living in reaction to that, but in reaction to Jesus. And the, the God has tried to show me what that begins to look like. So constant prayer. So talking to him, what does he, what do I need for today? What he wants to know. He loves to hear your voice. So to talk to him and tell him and he will, he would, he will do things. The second thing is to offer the things we do to him. So I love worship, so doing worship up here, but also bringing my life into a worship, sense of worship on the, my daily things. So that was also with my friends at New Day. I had, you, we always have to pray for schools and to, for Jesus to come into schools. I'd always sort of be like, oh, I don't really want to pray this because I know I'm not going to do it. But... <laughs> <laughs> This year, I was like, well, if I'm going to pray this, I've got to actually do this. So I prayed for this girl at my school. She was going through a really hard time, and she was always interested in my faith. And wherever I would shy away, she'd be like, oh, just tell me. It's fine. So I was telling her about New Day and prayed that she would come to this. And this year, she's coming to New Day. Hasn't been to, she's only been to my baptism and has only been to Edge once. So it was really amazing that she's coming. Um, so God was showing me the more I trust him, the more I can step out and the more he'll move. 
So it's being open to them, praying out, praying out loud was a new thing for me, doing that. As, as soon as I trust Jesus, he moves in big ways. And it's not down to me, but in the faith that I can have because of him. And the last thing he did for me or showed me was pursuing him. So learning more about him in the Bible, spending time with him. I can realizing that I don't have to necessarily always be in a place of like in the church, realizing that the Sunday thing is an everyday thing and affects everything I do. Being there for friends, showing some of God's love, not necessarily Bible bashing him, but with daily, daily things and just showing some, a bit of Jesus that I've been able to know myself. It's wonderful actually to hear what God is speaking to people. And it's amazing because he speaks to us all the time every day and all of us sitting down and standing he's been talking to us every moment yes um i'm also going to say what god actually has or is speaking to me about and um i've just titled this little talk faith in the face of danger it was actually i mean the title of um the life group that i led a couple of months ago but he's been speaking to me about this through that study and afterwards and I'm feeling, or I felt that it's good that I share this. Faith in the face of danger. Let me start by asking you this question. Have you ever been in trouble? No? Yeah? Great. <laughs> Problems with health? Issues at work? Facing redundancies at work? Financial difficulties, probably all is going well for you. And even if all is going well for you, sometimes it becomes a problem because you become self-sufficient and you are in danger. So it's kind of like everywhere you are in the cycle, there is something there you need to speak to God about. What do you do? When you are going through these problems, or when we are confronted with with issues, take it to Facebook, Twitter, texting friends. What do you do? You call your friend? I don't know. But you probably have, what do you do when you're going through difficulties? I think today, well, what is, yeah, you just go on Facebook, put it there. People will begin to give you comments. Is that what you do? God is speaking to me about faith in the face of danger. We study about Nehemiah. And just a couple of weeks into the study, I personally had that experience of whether I'll be able to apply faith in the midst of danger. And I was like, God, you can do this because we just, we are just studying this. So give me a bit of time to study this and then bring it on. And let's see if I will be able to apply that. But no, just about two weeks into that, I had a serious issue at work problems with, I mean, we're facing as a company because of the fall of oil prices because I used to work for oil and gas. 
And I was like, how can I do with this, God? And so I was thinking, mm, maybe I shouldn't have studied this. I was really, you can do this. It's just too early. Give me a bit of time to study, equip myself, and then bring it on. But he said, no. Because he said he only allows things that will come on our way, knowing very well that we will be able to handle it. It's not that we can do it by our own strength. He gives us the strength to be able to do it. So I said, okay, I'm at your service. Yes, because I know that he will carry me through that time. We said in our marriage, so just chapter one, we can see that Amir was born in exile. He was part of um, the children who were born in exile. Okay? But like other Jews before him, such as Daniel and his three friends, Mordecai and Esther, we can see that Amir rose to a significant position in exile. He rose up to a very, very high standard in government. In chapter 1, Naomi heard a distressed news from the people in exile that they are really, really going through a hard time. Those who were able to escape and survive the exile concerning Jerusalem, in verse 3, we read, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and his gates have been burned with fire. And that is the news he heard. What did he do? In verse 4, we read, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He heard overwhelming news. He didn't know what to do. He was really, really distressed about the whole thing. And what did he do? He sat down, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. And that's where I'm coming from. Where is our first point of call when we got distressed news, when we are in trouble, when we really don't know where to go? His first point of call was to call on God, who is more than able to do all things. Chuck Swindoll, an American preacher, a very renowned one. I like him. He's good. He calls Nehemiah a leader from knees up. A leader from knees up. Whenever there was a, a problem, he first go to his knees before he work it through. And that's what I wish and I want to be able to do. And I'm sure that's what you want to His dependency, that is Nehemiah, on God was a vital priority in determining God's purpose for the work ahead. So he was completely depending on God for what is ahead of him. And that is what we have to do. Because when we made him as our point first, I mean, of call, he, he shows us what to do. Probably, we can see, he was an activist if you read the whole scripture 
What did he do? He first went to God. And activists don't have time to waste, don't they? They just straight away, they tackle the problems. But straight away, he went to God. And that's what we have to learn. Regardless of what it is. The man, the woman, the friend that you're going to test. He's just a human being. Sometimes he wants to help. He discussed with the wife. The wife said, are you sure we can do that? The mind changed. He discussed with the brother. Brother said, whoa, in our family, we don't do that. The mind changed. But God never changes. He knows what you're going through. He's ever ready to help. So let him be your first point of call in every situation you find yourself in. If we are going to triumph in our walk with God, in our troubled times, to see the hand of God, what do we do? To see prophecies concerning us come to pass, we have no choice than to learn how to make God our first point of call. Sometimes it's like, why pray when you can worry? Why pray when you can just call somebody to solve it for you? Why do I have to pray about my financial issue? Well, I can call the bank. I can call a lawyer. But remember, Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hands of God. It is good to call the doctors everything. Yes, it is good. But first thing, call to God. He is the one who will direct you, even who to call that can help you. He is the one who will direct the doctors to be able to perform that surgery better. So in all we do, let's our first point of call be God. And that's what he's teaching me. That's what I'm learning. And I thought it would be good for us all to share this. If there is one great value in facing desperate situation where we have no idea what to do, how to respond, it is that we are forced to hold fast to God. For nothing at all, that is what we can get. It forces us, it pushes us to hold fast to God. Abraham Lincoln put it this way. I have been driven many times to my knees by overwhelming convictions that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of people around me seems insufficient for the day. Nowhere else to go other than to God himself. That is how Nehemiah felt. And it is a basic attitude that we need to cultivate right through our Christian life, and especially in our prayer times. The people around him, nobody seems to. It's only God. We can learn that from King David as well. He had issues, problems, difficulties in Psalm 18. And it says, verse 4 said, The cause of death entangle me. The torrent of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave called around me. The snares of death confronted me. An awful situation he found himself in. Look at what he was saying. It was really, really hard thing. But what did he do? You move on to verse 6. And he said, In my distress, 
I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. David was in too bad danger. But what did he do? He called to God. And he heard him. It is not easy when you are in danger. But remember, your first point of call should be to him. Because he will direct you where to go. The people to contact. Even Twitter. If we can tell you where actually in Twitter you have to paste your stuff. So please, let's try and make God our friend's point of call. We decided to walk with him. And if we're not going to make him what he is, what are we doing? If you have become a Christian, you have no choice than to make God your first point of call in everything. There's no point to be if you're not going to take your issues and problems to him. Remember, he has power over everything. Yes, he uses human beings. That is why you want to tell him first so that he directs you, show you where to go, who to speak to. The title says, Faith in the Face of Danger. All we have to do is to make God our first point of call. Amen.